engaging your donors with each other in ways that can increase your fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stajakavich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Katrina Van Hutz. Katrina is the founder of Turnkey for Good, where she continues to work as a consultant, a writer, an idea and content generator for a nationally regarded fundraising consulting organization. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen Katrina speaking at AFP, ICON, uh, Nonprofit Power, and other uh, conferences around the United States and around the world. She's a high demand speaker because of her understanding of fundraising, her ability to teach it to others. And Katrina, thanks so much for being with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Turkey for good. Tell us more about your work, please. We have been on a journey. Uh, this is my 34th year, and uh, the journey started interacting with nonprofits at the most tactical level possible, helping nonprofits uh, reward their fundraisers with recognition items. And I've been through the, uh, I started long enough that uh, online fundraising became a thing while I was in the midst of my career. And when that came to the fore, uh, data began to present itself that made us really question deeply what we were doing and whether it was actually good for nonprofit and for constituents. And that journey is uh, detailed in our book, Social Fundraising, Mining the Peer-to-Peer -Peer Landscape. Um, but at the heart of it, you know, we began to define and to study like the relationship with the donor. We all know transactional is bad and results in in poor outcomes. But why? And so we dug really deeply into the why that happens. And it was so compelling that I ended up shutting my warehouse and completely eliminating that line of business because I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. That itself is a wonderful lesson for nonprofits. We can't say yes to everything. Yeah. We'll do some work. We'll be smarter tomorrow. And we need to adapt and improve and course correct and yeah. sometimes say no. And uh, Katrina, you're modeling that for the rest of the sector. Well, it was a hard one. It was a tough one. That was our primary source of uh, profit for the business. But it became very clear in the data that rewarding people with things of high value actually hurt their, in our case, fundraising performance because we were working with peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers. And we could see it in the data that it was not the right thing to do. And so, again, the title of the book is Social Fundraising, and Katrina was in the business of donor recognition by creating these gifts and these items that we could send to our donors. She actually saw that there were more effective ways to steward our donors in ways that increase fund development. When I had the absolute privilege of learning from Katrina at the Nonprofit Power Conference in 2023, Katrina, you talked about these four stages of how nonprofits communicate with the external world. And many of them do pretty well in the first three stages, but not the fourth. Can you explain that for our audience, please? Sure. Um, we invest a ton of, of energy and money and effort into um, one form of communication, communication that comes from us to the constituent. And what we know is that really does very little to form their identity and to it's someone who's really leaned into us and us accomplishing our mission or them accomplishing the mission with us. Um, we spend most of our money and energy there. We spend a little bit of money letting them reply back to us. Aren't we generous? We spend some money and energy having our constituents reach out to other constituents. But the one place we spend almost no money, no energy, no attention is helping constituents talk to each other. And the reason that's so important is because that is the one path, the best path, the fastest path to forming their identities into something that will say yes to meeting the mission. We know that people are involved philanthropically for many, many different reasons. 
One of them is I want to associate with people who say, see the world the way that I do. People who have the same philanthropic motivations and values that I do. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about here, that if all of these folks have at least that in common, they might have lots of other distinct reasons right. that it serves us well and it serves them well to bring us together. How can we understand this work? What does this look like in practice? So you touch on something that um, I feel passionately about. You know, we've talked about all of us everywhere talked about society and, and how fractured it is, how much unhappiness and how much loneliness is out there. So we're all on this course, this um, this journey to meet our missions, curing cancer, saving babies, whatever it is. But the route to our mission is actually presents itself as a second mission. And that second mission is giving people community. And if we give them community, they're happier, they're healthier, they live longer, all good things. So the question is, how do we give community? Uh, unfortunately, community is used as an adjective instead of a noun. So, and when I say that, we talk about the Atlanta community, the Richmond community, the cancer community, and really we're just using it as a placeholder. It's part of the of, of describing a group of people, but it has that doesn't have any operations to it. And we need to operationalize community. We need to understand how it works, how it works at the individual level and the group level, and then install those systems and processes. The difficulty is that we have um, not operationalized community, and that's where we need to go. And that's difficult because um, those operations, those systems and those processes are also called non-revenue generating activity. And that's tough to sell inside. But what your research shows and what your lived experience shows is that it's not non-revenue generating, right? So first of all, if we take a step back, uh, those four steps that our profit reaches out to people, step two, people reach back out to us, in this case with donations. Step three, we might even say, hey, who else do you know in your circles of influence that you can invite us to? You're talking about a deeper level step four that a lot of nonprofits don't engage with, and that's helping the donors form community with each other. Yes. So Katrina, first of all, just the right thing to do to celebrate their interest in our cause. But then what does this look like? Are we talking about just inviting everybody to a special event or does it go much deeper than that? It does go much deeper. And I, I agree with you. Um, it is connected to revenue and the data now is emerging to help support that. So I think this argument will get easier over time, not harder. Um, you mentioned, you know, how does it work? So a community, you know, if you talk to a social psychologist, the way they define community is it's a group of people who share an idea and have the ability to talk to each other. And that's where we don't invest. We don't give them the ability to talk to each other. In fact, we work pretty hard to keep them from talking to each other. We would never typically invite our major donor to a walk environment because somebody might say something that would upset them. But that's not really the case. What's likely going to happen is that they're going to meet someone who, who lives their experience and their connection will become more deeper, more deep with us and with the other person. So the first thing is share an idea. The second thing is give them the environment and the ability to talk to each other. The third thing is let them engage. The word engage is as problematic as the word community. So we use the word engagement like for everything. And the fact is engagement varies widely. A click on a, a, a web link is engagement. Spending a weekend away riding a bike 3,000 miles is engagement. And they're really, really different 
levels of engagement. So what we're saying is the engagement has to be high quality and it's not with the organization. It's not with the staff person. It's with another constituent who shares their experience. So um, share an idea, a way to talk to each other, embed, engage, so that we are triggering what's called the social validation feedback loop. As they engage with the other people who share their idea, they like it, it validates them. It says, what I'm doing is good. These people are good. This is what people like me do and they want more. It's very satisfying and it's really a loop, a flywheel, so to speak. And what comes off that flywheel of engagement, that self-validation, social validation and engagement is trust. They increase trust in the idea that they share and they increase, increase trust in the other people. And while you might be likely to quit an organization, you are really unlikely to quit your friends. That makes you really sticky. Not only do you have great belief in the idea, you're mo more likely to donate, to volunteer, to serve, to fundraise, but you're also very unlikely to leave because that's my social network now. Why would I leave that? I wouldn't. Trina, that is so well described. And um, I want to ask you in a moment if you have an example that you could provide for us with uh, your considerable consulting work across the across the U.S. But, but before we get to that, um, I'm thinking about my colleague, Dr. Patrick Dwyer, social psychologist, has done a lot of research on gratitude. And on this podcast, he taught us that, uh, yes, gratitude, saying thank you. Um, and, you know, here is what the gift means to us is helpful. But even more helpful is thank you. Here is what you have meant to us. And, and it's not ego. It's not narcissism. It's a way to connect the donor to the impact and the results of the organization. If I'm understanding you correctly, this sounds consistent. That certainly uh, we're glad to have the donor, the way they volunteer, the way they advocate for us, the way they donate their charitable gifts. But we're also celebrating them for who they are. And a way to do that is to help them intersect with other people who are associated with our organization. Is, is that correct? Yeah, um, to take it up a level, um, you know, human satisfaction is built on three elements, autonomy, competence, meaning I can show that I'm good at something and connectedness. And I think the, uh, the gratitude piece is deeply connected to recognition and autonomy. You did this, you were in charge, you accomplished this. And then competence, you did this, I celebrate you. And then connectedness is when you give them community with other people that makes them sticky. Um, one of the reasons that we're focusing on connectedness is both um, because it's the one thing we do really badly, you know, in terms of elements of human satisfaction. We just don't do well at that because we haven't articulated that that is a need that they have that we can meet. And as we meet it, we accomplish not only our mission, we increase revenue, we increase retention, all the good things, but we also make them happier. You know, we help heal society. Right now we have many communities that are being built on hate and disgust and, and fear. And those people are landing there because they don't have somewhere else to land. And we can give them that place. We in social good can do this. And we have a huge workforce to get it done. One in 10 people in the United States works for a nonprofit. We're the only people who can do it. We're bigger than the military, you know? So we can give community in a way, in a positive way, that can really change a lot of things for the good. You can see why Katrina Van Huss is such a good friend of our school, uh, the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, one of our seminal books, Understanding Philanthropy by Robert Payton and our colleague, Dr. Michael Moody. 
argues that philanthropy is the place where people can still come together uh, and come together in community. And of course, here at the fundraising school, wherever possible, our curriculum is research-based, as is the work of Turnkey for Good. Uh, as you hear Katrina with her answers here today, is uh, going back to the research, but then also helping us to apply that research. And Katrina, that leads me to ask you, do, do you kind of have a favorite example of a nonprofit that has done this, reaching that fourth step that uh, you know, helps the donors with engagement and feel that sense of community? I'm going to uh, look backwards. And, you know, a lot of the work in, in social psychology is like looking at a situation and then trying to figure out what happened, like what was happening happening at the human level in this. And I'll use Relay for Life because that is just one of the best examples. Um, you know, at their zenith, which was around 2000, I think they were raising $435 million a year. And the way they were raising it, um, unfortunately, was not well understood. Um, at one point, they had a business unit. They didn't know the psychology behind the thing, but they were wise enough simply to let the horse run. Like, we tried this, it worked, it, it increased revenue, let's do more of it. But they didn't understand it. So that's the situation around the year 2000. Um, and then a whole new management team came in and there was no data to support the fact, uh, to support the way that Relay ran. Relay for Life was a community building behemoth. That's what they did well. And they did that through their leadership committees for each Relay. And I'll give my own example. Um, I happened to be going through a divorce the same year I decided that I would chair a Relay for Life. What a great idea. What a terrible idea. That was a terrible idea. Like my life was falling apart and I'm chairing this event and I'm charged with raising $70,000 and I'd never done it before. And, and what happened was that leadership committee of about 25 people became my home, my support system. They saved me, you know, as we were doing this work together and I gained those connections. It was great working for the American Cancer Society as a volunteer. But what was more important to me was a group of people that I came together with in service to a project that became my family and supported me through my divorce. So that's an extreme example, maybe, of what community building can do. It can raise $435 million a year. It can save this poor lady, you know, as she goes through her divorce with a set of friends who were tried and true. Um, but that's what was lost. Because when you think about it, at that moment in time, and still to this day, most nonprofits don't have a way to measure constituent to constituent engagement. The data is simply not there. So it has to be uh, teased apart anecdotally. Now, is it happening now? Yes, because our communities are moving online and we're beginning to see it and have data to support it. But, um, you know, that is the most extreme example of community building that was fantastic. And then we healed it because it, we didn't understand it. Truly didn't. I actually heard a professional for Autism Speaks, which also ran a vibrant community-led uh, walk effort, tell me that they were uncertain that volunteer engagement was a leading indicator for success because their regression analysis did not demonstrate that. And I said, how would you measure that? You know, which data points are you using? It is absent data. It's not there. And uh, yeah, they, they didn't do well either on that front because the volunteer engagement piece, which was the community building piece, was let go. So in terms of practices, uh, one takeaway from that, those examples is then our donor databases. Are we entering information about our donors and the way that they are not just donating, not just what they tell us in donor meetings and our donor relations efforts, but what's happening if we're creating these opportunities to forge and foster and encourage community within our donors? 
so that helps us with our relationship with them, but importantly, with each other that builds that trust. And of course, fundraising happens at the speed of trust, and more trust can lead to more fundraising opportunities. Uh, Katrina, I want to ask you uh, in conclusion here, uh, what mind shifts, if any, uh, need to happen for a fundraiser? I mean, it can be so easy to be caught up in, I, I have my annual goal, or I have my major gift goal, I have my campaign goal, these types of things. And I do care personally about the donor. I do let the donor do most of the talking. I do most of the listening. I do want to discern their values and their motivations. I am others focused. But you're almost playing kind of 4D chess here, taking us to a higher level. Yeah. What type of mind shift in terms of change of approach do you recommend for fundraisers to be able to do this fourth step well? I think they're in a really difficult spot if their leadership is not on board and doesn't have an understanding of community building and what it can yield. So my my first uh, go at it would be get your CEO in the room and get them to understand this, get them to buy in because if they don't buy in, you know, fight that one war. So you're not fighting skirmish after skirmish, you know, uh, get get it integrated as part of the strategic plan. Gain an understanding at the organizational level of what community yields and why we invest in it as an organization. Um, some of what I've seen is that we use the word community a lot in strategic plans. We don't define its operations. We don't define what does support mean. We just use the words. So I think that's where we started, the leadership level. Can you do it inside a program with some critical mass over which you have control? Yes, you can do it there thoughtfully, but it's a lot easier if your CEO is knocking down barriers for you. Great advice and practical application from Katrina Van Huss. Again, the name of the book is Social Fundraising, Mining the New Peer-to-Peer -peer Landscape, and it informs the work of Turnkey for Good. Katrina Van Huss is the founder, still engaged with idea generation and consulting. Uh, and this work on donor relationships, stewardship, Building Community is part of our curriculum here at the Fundraising School, where we have 24 public courses. They're available in eight U.S. cities, in person, online, anywhere around the world. You can also customize the content just for your nonprofit, your association, uh, your region, wherever you may be located. And these courses lead to four different certificates. We have our quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts. Our knowledge and teaching is gathered in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. All available online at philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. So grateful to our guest, Katrina Van Huss, in a podcast produced by my colleagues, Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. Now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.